good morning, Guam, and thanks for starting your day the KUAM way. Starting lineup, of course, every weekday morning uh, we have our uh, Facebook Live shows Tuesday, which means you get me, Chris Barnett, in a group chat and our guests uh, this morning uh, from the Chamorro Tribal Status Movement, uh, Mr. Frank Shocker and Mr. Allison Augustino. Buenas, Chris. Buenas, Guam. And Buenas. so uh, you guys are doing this, and we'll just jump right into it. Uh, you're doing a like a seminar or a workshop on Chamorro Tribal Status, right? Well, we're doing an education type of program where we afford the public the opportunity to learn how Native American status and tribal recognition would affect Chamorro people and Guam as a whole, right. even the non-Chamorros. And so uh, just uh, real quick, I mean, if, if you can explain it real quick, uh, what is uh, tribal, what does it mean to have tribal status for Chamorro uh, people and I guess, like you said, people in Guam and then uh, what is the Native... Um, what is it, a Native American designation or something? Well, we already are designated as uh, Native American Pacific Islanders. Our political status was changed in 1995. Uh, that was printed in the Federal Register and became law. So since we are already recognized or our status has been changed by the federal government, our objective is to pursue not registration but official recognition as a tribal body. Now, what this would allow is this would allow Chamorros to govern themselves on Guam, establish their own constitution and their own tribal laws as long as they fall within the parameters of what is acceptable to the United States Congress. Now, you can use other Native American constitutions and uh, other Native American laws as an example Let's just say, I mean, you know, uh, devil's advocate here. What about, for example, something like recreational marijuana? Uh, if Guam had a tribal, um, officially, uh, was officially tribal recognized, council. right, would we still be able to maintain recreational marijuana if it's not legal federally? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, with the exception of, of certain laws that would violate... Uh, what the United States Congress considers to be the basic human rights. So stuff like the Dave Davis. Uh, okay. No, 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 no. You have you have special allocations for Native Americans when it comes to protecting their heritage, their culture, their race. Okay. So this is the only leeway or or wiggle room within U.S. law where a people have the right to a certain forms of discrimination in order to protect their culture and their heritage and to preserve what is part of who they are as a people. Okay. Those are the only things that, that a tribal council under a recognized tribal government would not be able to do. It's those things that, that uh, the United States Congress deems to, to be a violation of basic human rights. Okay, basic human rights being uh, uh, the right to uh, uh, a legal search procedure process, uh, legal uh, having to go to court and get a search warrant before they can come on your property to search you, so on and so forth. Okay, I believe there's five basic human rights that the U.S. Congress considers. But as far as most everything else, whether it be marijuana or whether it be cockfighting, uh, whether it be uh, how lands are allocated, that would be up to the to the tribal government, 
Okay, the U.S. Congress, once you go through a period of oversight, they step back and they allow you to govern your people and govern yourselves as a people. So things have changed. A lot of people will look at, uh, at certain tribes in the United States. Uh, let's take the Navajo, for example. And they'll say, well, why isn't it working for them? Well, most of your Native American tribes in the, in the states are living the lives that they choose to live. You have some that are very successful and some that aren't so successful because no matter how, how their leaders try to change, the people, the tribal members, want to live the same lifestyle their ancestors did. So they continue on that path. You have some Native American tribes where the, the leading cause of death is, is getting drunk and getting run over on the highway. Right, but does that stem from like uh, social, uh, socioeconomic um, issues like, you know, for example, having your whole country stolen from under you? So are you basically it, saying that because in, in some ways I feel like Guam has similarities with these Native American uh, Indian reservations in that, you know, we have high suicide rate, high rate of alcoholism, uh, you know, extreme poverty. Absolutely. So in some ways I feel like we are already like a reservation, I mean, sadly. And then, so I, I think it's important for you guys uh, to kind of sell your you're, tribal you're, status. You're, you're right? more right than you know. Uh, yeah, so uh, why would we want to be like a reservation when, uh, you know, we're, I mean, I, I just feel like. We, we are already a like reservation. A, yeah, so is this a, a trade-off? Do you feel like self-determination and the Chamorro Native uh, Inhabitant plebiscite is unattainable so that this is, like you said, the way we can go in the status quo? What a lot of people don't understand is within the Organic Act, it already establishes that every square foot of land on this island is Federal Reserve land. That makes us a Federal Reserve or reservation. Our laws are already restricted by the Department of Interior and the United States government. What we don't have that a recognized tribe has is the ability to govern ourselves as an indigenous people. And so you, you believe that uh, tribal status recognition for Chamorro people will give us that right? Yes, it will. How so? The United States government, when it formally recognizes a tribal body, gives them the authority to govern themselves separate from the state government, or in this case, the territorial government. So the territorial government would remain in effect. A tribal body would govern the Chamorro people and those lands designated as Indian lands. Okay, and, and in the Organic Act, during the Wanpat administration, when the Organic Act was finalized, I believe it was in 1971, there were maps delineated as part of the Organic Act which established which lands were naval lands and which lands were transferred officially over to the government of Guam. Uh, what's interesting is under the naval land holdings there were certain lands that were set aside as reserved for Indians. So there are already established lands reserved for Indians in a tribe on Guam under the Organic Act. You know, we're, we're looking at federal law. We're looking at 
how can we establish the laws on our island that we want to live under, laws that protect our culture, laws that protect our language. So would we be able to catch and eat turtle? Believe it or not, that law is a local law that mm. was volunteered during, I believe it was Ricky Bredalia's administration, his know. first yeah. administration, okay? And that was done so that we would be eligible for certain federal funds right. yeah. under species protections, okay? But could we change that law? Yes, we could. So we could basically say we're Chamorro Indians, we can eat turtle. Well, the United States government calls us Chamorro Indians. Right. No, I mean, if we, so if we get a tribal, uh, official tribal recognition. Yes. So let, let me ask you, do you, do you feel like, People kind of look at this movement and think it's like kind of harebrained. Like, what? Chamorro Indians? What are you talking about? Well, because that's a feeling I get. You know, I mean, yeah. I, I cover decolonization a lot and and these different um, political status committees. When you mention Chamorro tribal status, they kind of laugh. You know, it's, and they say, oh, well, that's just going to give the federal government. Yeah. And I think, you know, their criticisms are valid. I mean, that, those are the biggest criticisms is that if you look at the Native American Indians, like, what, what, conditions are they living in they're almost extinct you know that, what i mean that, I just, that would so, be depending so, upon which right. tribal body or which tribe that you're looking at so you have give me an example which tribe is thriving Chugach. those that's alaska right okay the Chugach. like eskimo okay the native alaskan association of tribes uh, matter of fact julia kitka the president came over to see us a few years ago uh the tribes live the lives that they choose to live. This is the point I'm trying to get across. I've been to Native American reservations in the States, okay? I've been from the worst to some of the best. They live the lives that they choose to live. They live under their own political system. So if they have leaders that want to promote progress, financial progress. They want to amend their constitutions to include economical, economics clauses where their tribe has the ability to venture into commercial, Build a casino or something. commercial venues. Okay, And I'm not talking about necessarily uh, uh, building a casino or gambling. Do they have the right to do that? Yes, they do. Is it right for us? That's not up to me to decide. Right, right, yes. Okay. But they do have the right to do those things. Cockfighting is the only place in the United, or tribal reservations is the only place in the United States where cockfighting is legal. Oh, that's it, done deal. Okay. If you just pitch it that way, I mean, you should get a lot of support. Well, tomorrow trial status, you can still cockfight. Oh, okay. It goes, it, it goes a lot further than that. Is that, that the only good thing, though? No, 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 absolutely not. You know, one, one of the things that I viewed over there is, I see, uh, I've seen where on reservations, uh, tribal members will, will have their houses built for them by the federal government. And I, I believe that, that they, get a, they get a new house like uh, once every so many years. I never discussed it with them. But I, I see these houses get gutted. I see all the wires and the plumbing get pulled out, and they're still living in these houses, and they're, and they're, they're massing and they're scrapping uh, all the wires and plumbing, the, everything they can sell in there. And then they live in there until it's time for a new house to be built. Okay. Uh, 
they choose to live on the reservation. They don't have to. They can leave the res. Right. They can get a, they can get employment outside in the nearest town or, or go to a different state. They choose to live there because that is the land that they're from. Can you can you uh, touch a little bit on? We got a comment here from uh, John Balesta who says another benefit of uh, tribal status: see Native American, Alaska Native, Hawaiian-owned business preference for federal contracts. Yeah, absolutely. Because there's no Chamorro preference, you know. Like, look at this. No, there build-up. isn't. You know, there I mean, isn't. We have all these outside companies coming in, and you know, we, Chamorro can't get a contract. We should so. have the yay or nay for each federal contract mm-hmm. that comes. We should have the first right of of refusal. Okay, as the local tribe, there are federal laws that mandate that. Not only that, but anything produced by a Native American tribe that is needed by the military, they are mandated by federal law to purchase it from that Native American tribe first. So when you look at your commercial opportunities and how it it would affect the entire island and not just the Chamorro people or the Chamorro businessmen, but the job opportunities it would create, uh, the ability to have a self-sustainable government for a change, okay? Because currently, three-fourths of our government is federally funded anyway. I don't know if you're aware of that. Yeah, sure. But with, with a tribal government, you get the best of both worlds. You get the ability to negotiate, and that's a key word there, negotiate directly with the federal government rather than taking instructions from the Department of Interior. Okay, there's a difference. There's a legal difference. Sure, I mean, we could see it now. It's a, you know, we have a non-voting delegate. We have, uh, I mean, if you if you look at what's going on with this compact impact uh, renegotiation, we're going all the way around the federal government to tell the leaders of the FSM to kind of go to, so yeah, I mean, there's no, I think we're all at that point where we know Guam has no self-governance. We're not sovereign. We're a territory. We're handcuffed economically in all these different ways. But what I want to know is how is Chamorro tribal status, is it easier than this route that we're currently on, which is um, this UN native inhabitant uh, plebiscite vote that is non-binding? And I see you laughing already because we kind of talked about this. And is it is it funny to you that... So many, so much of our, or so many of our decolonization eggs are in this United Nations uh, basket. It's not funny. It's pathetic. When you take the time to study the law, study the Charter of the United Nations, and and the different uh, the different uh, treaties. And keep in mind that the Charter is not a treaty, so it doesn't fall under the Article 6 Supremacy Clause of the Constitution. The Charter is an agreement to form a kind of like a club, okay, or a nonprofit corporation created by countries. It's it's by agreement. It, It is not. It is not a treaty. Articles 11, 12, and 13 of the Charter uh, delineate the rights of indigenous people. The only thing that binds the United States government to conformance with those articles of the Charter is the treaty called the Helsinki Accord, which is done in Helsinki, Finland. But it binds them to those articles 
according to how they treat the native people in the United States. And under U.S. law, native people are designated as Indians. So if you were to go to Washington and tell people apaka, 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 nobody would know what you were saying. Well, if you go to Washington talking about Chamorro Nation and our country, they're not going to understand what you're saying. You start talking to them about indigenous rights, they're not going to know what you're saying. But if you start talking about Native Americans and Indian rights, then they're going to understand what you're saying because that's the language that they chose to use. And that's why I kind of feel like people really double take this Chamorro tribal thing is that we're moving our whole movement to fit in with the federal government and and their definition of what it means to be an indigenous people. So I mean you, to use the analogy you just said we can go to Washington we could we could say white 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 and no one's going to know what we're talking about. You say apaka so, apaka apaka right, because so, that's our language that's right. how we choose to say white. So when we're going to switch everything up to fit like their definition and is that, is that well, we can talk to them. We, we can speak to them in Chamorro. Let me just get this real quick. We can speak to them in Chamorro all we want because that's what makes us feel good. But they hold supremacy. They're the ones that make the decisions and make the determination. Unfortunately, we're under the right of might. We don't have the firepower to go up against the United States and try to change things through the use of force. The only thing that we can do is, is use their laws against them in their court. Fortunately for us, those laws are in place that we can use against them. And they are a country based on law. So if we get smart enough, or as the court system prefers to uh, delineate it as, as ripen, if we get to the point where we ripen as a people and we educate ourselves enough to use those laws to our, to our benefit, then I would say that, that that shows a sign of maturity and intelligence politically on our part. Okay, if we continue to try to go our own path and beat our heads against the same wall when there's a door available to us, I'd say that that just says we're immature and stubborn. And I can see why uh, people would uh, want to listen to, the, because, you know, having come in here, like I said, I didn't know anything about um, tribal recognition, and uh, I think you're very articulate and eloquent in explaining it, and uh, what has been the response? I mean, this is not something you just started this year. This is something that, I mean, Jason interviewed you a few years ago. So you've oh, been absolutely. doing this uh, for a minute, and meanwhile we've, we've had this decolonization movement, you know, going full steam ahead. While you're over here saying, "Hey, no, guys, look at no, we can do this instead." You know, I, I I don't even pay attention to the decolonization process anymore because I I understand that it's basically just a smokescreen to keep people arguing amongst themselves. So they can't move forward. Interesting analogy. Okay, let's face the facts. When you're when you're talking about 
the successful steps of colonization and what the what the United States government's official position on Guam is okay successful steps of, of colonization is first you remove a people's commonality if you are to successfully dominate rule and colonize them the first thing you do is remove their con commonalities what are their commonalities their commonalities are their history their language their culture and then the next step is to diffuse their bloodline once you remove their commonalities and once you bring in additional peoples to, to diffuse the bloodline to allow them to breed out then they have no longer any political relevance on their land well, this is what's happening here. If you look back... I think it's already happened. If you look back to the initial 12 general orders that were issued by uh, Woodrow Wilson, President Woodrow Wilson, Commander Are Leary... Are we going back to Woodrow Wilson? The, the naval governor of Guam. <laughs> yes. Yeah, okay. Okay? The official United States policy that was established back then and still holds true today on how Guam is to be governed by the United States is a policy of benevolent assimilation. Those are some pretty strong words when you're when you're talking about the they political like, destiny like of opposite people. words to me. Benevolent and assimilation. They benevolent like assimilation. Opposite. Break down the definition of those two words. Yeah, so we're gonna make you fit in and change you but in a good way. Yeah, we're gonna be nice to you. Yeah. Well, we take everything. Right, yeah, so, and I, and I feel like this is just, like, my train of thought is this is common knowledge, like, you know, we're colonized, yes, they mess with the immigration, we're a minority in our own homeland, so when you talk about this issue of a native inhabitant plebiscite, what you end up doing is dividing, you know, two-thirds of the island because we've been made a minority in our homeland because we're not sovereign so well this, this and, is I th and i think that's kind of the gist of the whole decolonization thing is that you know the u.s is pretty much and different colonizers through the centuries has they've whitewashed guam and they've you know uh, controlled the immigration so like i said we're a minority in our homeland so that's why i think people want to kind of get an arm's length away and decide whether we want to be freely associated a statehood or independence and, and that's why i think they see well, this tribal status thing as kind of snuggling closer um well, to Chris, the federal government you you hit on a very good uh, very good point we are a minority in our homeland so let's say all of a sudden the government of the united states decides that okay we're going to give guam what it wants we're going to give it independence we don't want to deal with we don't want to deal with uh, all of the bad news coming out of guam we don't want to deal with all of the all of the all of the headaches uh, before the united nations so we're going to give them independence okay do you think the united nations is going to step in and say okay guam is going to be governed only by chamorros now I just think everything I, you just that's said not is going to happen. I, I don't think the U.S. is never going to say, "Oh, let's well, give them." No, it's not. But if it did, if self-determination succeeded, what part of governing the future of this island is the minority race on this island going to play? How will that really affect 
the political destiny of this island, how will that really affect the Chamorro people on this island, being the minority on this island? How is the Chamorro then going to subjugate the rest of the races on this island so that it can dominate and rule on this island? These are, these are questions that, that, that people need to ask themselves when they're talking about self-determination and the political destiny of this island because there are more than just Chamorros on this island. I mean, if we would have been having this discussion 75 years ago, 100 years ago, it would have been far more relevant. And at that time, measures could have been put in place to protect the culture, the language, the heritage of the Chamorro people under an independent government. Now we're talking about being minorities on our island. And how are we going to move forward after a plebiscite, after, say, by some miracle, we are granted independence? As the minority on our island, what are we going to do with you that independence? What I see here, though, Mr. Shocker, is I see that, and it's something I see a lot, is people commingling <laughs> self-determination with independence when they're not the same thing. No, they're not. Self-determination is right to right of the Chamorros to choose which of the status options. And, I, you know, I agree with some of what you're saying in that I, too, feel like we're stuck on this United Nations route, and when we have this Native inhabitant plebiscite and we go take the non-binding results to the U.S. Congress, nothing compels the U.S. Congress to see those results and say, oh, okay, oh, you did the U.N. vote? Oh, let, yeah, let's give them free association or let's give them statehood or whatever. So I agree with you that... Self-determination, and I mean, God forbid, but real talk, it may be a lost cause with this case that, that's come out, and, and it just might not happen. I mean, there's, they're trying to find a way around it, and I totally agree with the process. I want to see Chamorro's, you know, vote to, uh, you know, determine the, their political future. I do. I totally believe in that cause, but I'm just saying that if the United States has been able to do all the things that it's done to Guam as a territory— what more would they do when we become Indians? Because, I, again, I just got to go back. Like, if you're going to hold up one example and say, oh, the Alaska Indians are doing great, go ask them. Then what about all the other Indians? No, the Mohegans are doing great. There's quite a number of tribes that are I doing I just think it's a hard sell great. to say that the Native American there's, there's people are doing great. There's a number that aren't doing great, yeah. but there's a number that are doing great. It falls down to choice and making the right decisions as a tribal body on, on how you choose to approach the future. So you're basically saying the Indians that are suffering, it's their own fault. That's what they choose. That's a hard and a harsh language to use, but yes. Right. Yes. Now, can they, can they take advantage of opportunities that they have to make life better for themselves? That's of course, right. Okay. Yeah. So what stops them from doing that? I don't know enough about Native Americans. All I know is that uh, last time I checked, I mean, they're well, up in from reservations. And <laughs> it just doesn't, I'm just saying, Mr. Shocker, like, I agree with the first part of your argument, which is that Chamorro self-determination is problematic and that, you know, logistically, when we do the vote and we're stuck in this United Nations process that Trump, I mean, he doesn't even listen to NATO. <laughs> he doesn't even recognize NATO. Like, when we go to Congress with our hat in our hand and our little native inhabitant plebiscite results, so what do you think they're going to do? They're not going to rubber stamp. And that's where I agree with you, but I think that's, 
after that is where we kind of part ways because I, I don't um, and I, I you know I feel for you because it is a hard sell because the number one thing I thought of was like oh well it didn't work so great for the Native Americans which I mean we can agree to disagree yeah. and, and you can you can hold I, up examples of I, I, I would say I would say go to the states and uh, right yeah. and and it's not just it's not just your your is it fake news your registered, the of the it's NATO? not just your registered tribes back in the states you know right. a lot of us grew up watching john wayne movies where the indians were the bad guys okay and unfortunately that is the mentality that we developed here on our island for how many decades because that's what we watched on tv that is where the extent of our knowledge is regarding indians and cowboys okay well little did we know that we were looked at as the Indians. Okay, you can go back to uh, films coming out of this island during uh, the reoccupation of Guam by the by the military, and there's one in particular that was shot in 1944 as they were reoccupying, where the narrator of the film says, "And here we see the Chamorro Indians coming out of the jungles to greet their liberators." Right. Okay. Understand that was kind of like for for yeah. that time. I mean, I'm not a I'm yeah. not an apologist, but for that time, that's what they called indigenous. Uh, understanding people, native right, language, so, and yeah. it's what they still call yeah. the indigenous people right, right, yeah. under their laws. Unfortunately for us, in some ways, and fortunately in others, we fall under their laws. And like I said, the United States is a nation of laws. So my argument is. Why aren't we using those laws to benefit us? In the same way that the native Hawaiians are now using those laws, the same way that the native Alaskans are now using those laws, why aren't we using those laws to our benefit? Sure, and I agree. I, that's another thing. I, I, I say this all the time to my friends in decolonization. I think that there are still ways... I'm not an advocate of status quo, by the way. But there's still ways to pour through these laws and find out which ones we can use against the colonizer. I think it's a it's a good tactic that they've used before. And, and like I don't know if we necessarily need to go full tribal status to do that, but it would be a good place to start. What do you consider full tribal status? See, this is this is part of the education process. I don't know, but I'm I'm just saying. Okay. If you had your way, like I don't I don't know if we necessarily full, need to go full, full tribal status would be formal registration under the Department of Interior or registration being a registered tribe as ordered by Supreme Court or by an act of Congress. Mm -hmm. Okay, That would be full tribal status. So that would take Congress tribal, to say... Tribal recognition mm. is different. So are we for tribal status or are we for tribal recognition? Okay. Our objective... We meaning you. Our objective is for tribal recognition. So not official. Is that official or not? It is official, okay. The process that occurs is the, the, the president or the secretary of interior uh, makes a pro proclamation that the federal government has identified and recognized a tribe in the territory of Guam or, or whatever state. That tribe, similar to a registered tribe, then has the doors open 
regarding uh, benefits through Title 25, the Indian Act, okay, which, by the way, Guam is listed. That was also amended yeah. in And that's why, I mean, you know, one, one uh, side effect of that is that I know that for grants, we're able to um, qualify and uh, get grants as, you know, Native Americans or whatever. Well, so. in 1995, when, when our political status was changed to Native American Pacific Islander, and it also, at the same time, uh, on the Federal Register, recognized Native Hawaiians, Native Alaskans. On that same issue of the Federal Register, it established the Administration for Native Americans, the ANA. Okay. Now, I don't know if, if you're familiar with the ANA, but it, established, it established the ANA to be able to deal with the Native peoples in these outer states outside of the 48, okay, these outer states and to be able to deal with the native peoples in the territories, okay. So the ANA acts as similar to a buffer. You can, you can apply for grants through the mm -hmm. NA, which we do have uh, nonprofits on Guam uh, that do apply for grants through the ANA. Yeah, and it did open up a lot of funding that okay. previously and wasn't available. And, and yeah. it did open up funding that was right. previously in small right. amounts. Hey, Mr. Shocker, just real quick on the Facebook comments. Uh, Vanessa writes, we deserve to have control of our island as the native Chamorro people of Guam. So that's kind of what I want to, because I feel like self-determination is a gateway to sovereignty three different forms of, you know, sovereignty, whether they be statehood. I mean, we'd obviously be getting more control over our own affairs than we currently have. Does the tribal recognition thing that you're pushing give us more control over our own affairs, or does it put us more under the federal government? Well, it affords us additional protections under the Constitution, which gives us more control over our own affairs. And when, right, you, yeah. when, when you enter into a compact of free association, which was specifically established first for how the federal government deals with Native American tribes that are not registered, when you enter into a compact of free association... Give me association, an example. What, what American tribes are not registered? I mean, is that, you, do we fall under you, that category, Chamorros? We so can because I, I want to research it. And that's we kind can of, that's we can I, fall under that category as, a, as a tribe that is not registered. Right. Okay, as a tribe that is federally recognized but not registered, we can enter into a compact of free association. Can't or can? Can 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 with can. with the federal see, government. Right. So, what would you say to those people who listen to you and say that we're just going, uh, you know, to have uh, the federal government overseeing more. I would say knowledge is a powerful thing. You disagree okay. with that statement then? Empower yourself. Knowledge is a powerful thing. When you learn what you can or can't do according to their laws, then you empower yourself. When you're able to use their laws for your benefit, then you empower yourself. As long as you continue to deny the fact that they have laws that govern you, 
Then you're hiding in the dark and hoping. Mr. Shocker, let me give you one more uh, question here because I got I got to run to Adeloupe. Uh From my friend uh, Jesse, I've heard the federal government only recognizes original tribes and treaties those tribes had before America became independent. I don't know if that's true. Is it? Have you heard? So I bet I guess his argument is basically, if we go to the Congress or whatever and say, "Hey, we're the Chamorro Indian tribe," and they're gonna be like, "What? Where you come from, man? We, you missed the window." Well. What I will say is that in 1898, when the United States government took possession of Guam, the native people of Guam were the Chamorros. And we are the descendants of those people from 1898. So do we have a legal right? If you're going to look for the definition of who the United States government considers to be an Indian, even if you want to, even if you want to uh, go ahead and just ignore the fact that it was already printed and acknowledged by the federal government on the federal register and became law, if you want to ignore that fact and just go with what the United States government defines an Indian to be, then look under Title 18. Okay, bypass Title 25, the Indian Act, because that will refer you to another federal law, which will refer you to another federal law, which will lead back to Title 18. Okay, and the definition for an Indian under Title 18 is a person of native descent who is applicable under federal standards and is eligible for benefits under the Department of Interior. Oh, that's an easy once you once they hear benefit oh benefits what now let okay. me ask you I, I know i said last question but i want to know because i've heard this mentioned i think with uh former senator dennis rodriguez and then even congressman Sir nicholas is this kind of like uh being marketed as the alternative for people who have uh issues with chamorro self-determination because i know on your opening salvo you said that um this is something that could be done for all the people of guam and so given that, you know, we've we've heard, I believe, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think I remember something about Senator Rodriguez and then Senator San Nicholas talking about this as an option. Well, everything is an option, depending upon how you choose to view it. Now, whether it is our intent for this to be a benefit to everybody on Guam, that's more a side effect okay our intent from the beginning was to pre preserve our heritage preserve our culture preserve our island okay i've been doing this since the 80s so you've been this, on this tribal thing since the no 80s. no i discovered in 2000 the changes that were made to Title 25. Prior to that, I was I was all on board for pursuing self-determination, okay? Because at that time, it was believed that we did not have this option, that we were completely separated even from Native American status, right, yeah. okay? But that changed. In 1995. In 1995, right. and surprisingly, our congressional delegate at the time didn't happen to mention it to us. 
I didn't find out about it until I found it on I found the change on Title 25. Okay, and then I did further research and found backtracked to the Federal Register in 1995. Right, Mr. Shocker. I mean, we've gone way over. This is a really interesting topic. Like I said, I had no idea about uh, tribal recognition. I mean, I'm still skeptical of it, uh, but I I think that. You're very articulate, like I said. Obviously, you're uh, very knowledgeable about um, this issue. So, uh, you know, we got some people watching, man, and then I see people that are, you know, with these uh, different movements uh, watching, and I know that at least a couple of them have said they want to come and, and come to your um, education uh, workshop. When is that? Well, what we're going to do is we're going to have some meetings, and we're going to be doing it throughout the island. Our first one will be... On the 25th at uh, 2 o'clock, and it'll be on Nevermind Road in Derrido. And then after that, we're going to go down to Tamuning, and, and then we're going to venture out from there. Uh, so 2 o'clock? Uh, this coming Sunday. Sunday, okay, got it. So it's a day off, right? Got you. And you have, like, an address, or? As soon as you pull on the Nevermind Road off of Hissing Song, it's right there on your right. Right, okay. And so, uh, obviously, those of you guys just joining us, I see my buddy Ned Pablo. What's up, Ned? Uh, just watching. Maybe you guys want to go back to the beginning of the show and uh, listen to Mr. Shocker, uh, Mr. St. Augustine, uh, very eloquent uh, words today. <laughs> well, I've, I've been with this movement for 15 years. The way I look at it and the way I understand that uh, looking at all the other political status that's going on, we're still the luckiest people in the world. Why? Because the way the federal laws look at us is this status that we're pursuing. Drawing the military buildup proves me, to me, that they do listen to the tribe. Because we're the only one here that can be prejudiced by law. Our government can't be prejudiced by law. And that's why we're pursuing this. Our voice as a tribe is well listened to. Well, thank you, uh, Mr. Allen, uh, Mr. Frank. Definitely a good talk. And that's uh, August 25th, Sunday. Never mind road. Never mind road. Don't never mind. <laughs> Go and uh, check them out. That's uh, August 25th. I mean, no matter where you stand, even if you're diehard to more self-determination, uh, you know, go and hear these guys out. And I know that you, you really kind of... You said that movement was pathetic, but are you still willing to sit down with some of the Chamor self-determination people and maybe discuss some of your differences? Because you mentioned, like, tribal status to some of the decolonization people, and they're like, oh. Well, let me, let me step into this thing, as you mentioned. But quickly, because I, I know we're, we got to go, but I keep asking questions. Why are, so. why are we just staying in the shadows while these other political status are moving? Well, we have been out there educating a lot of people in the past. The thing is, they have their own movement. We can't make the decision on what they want until it comes to the table. So now that it's coming to the table... And it's coming to the table because of this... Uh, I feel like this Dave Davis uh, lawsuit is uh, making people kind of look at like, hey, well, it's, is it's there more another than, way? It's here? more than Dave Davis. Okay, we're, we're, we're at a pinnacle. We're at a pinnacle right now on our destiny as a people. We're losing the right to governance, self-governance over the territory, 
let's let's start with the cockfighting. Let's let's go with the Chamorro Land Trust, and then let's go with the Dave Davis determination in courts. Okay, this should be enough to wake everybody up. If it's not enough to wake everybody up, then then those of you who are really concerned with the future for the land trust need to wake up and take a closer look at what the federal government is going to be saying about the land trust. Okay, because the federal government is not going to allow the territorial government which was established to represent its supremacy over Guam. It was not established to represent the people of Guam. Right, yeah. It's not going to allow the territorial government to do anything racially based. But if we become a tribe, then we can be as racist as we want to be. Prejudice by law. Prejudice by law. In order to protect our lands, <laughs> our culture, <laughs> our heritage. I mean, that sounds like a good thing to a lot of people. Okay. Uh, hey, you know, thank you so much for the time again, August 25th. Wait, what time? What time? 2 o'clock p.m. Right? 2 p.m. Tomorrow Standard Time or Tomorrow Tribal Time? Tomorrow Standard. All right. Hey, good discussion here. Uh, you know, I don't know anything about this issue. I really wanted to listen. Like I said, I was skeptical, so just uh, wanted to bring up some points. And uh, if you guys uh, want to engage Mr. Shocker, uh, you go check him out, the Tribal Education Workshop, again, August 25th, 2 p.m., Nevermind Road. You got it. All right. And there will be more meetings. And you don't want to touch base uh, with Mr. Shocker, maybe. Maybe we'll cover that first meeting and see what, uh, you know, some of the different uh, people. Because, I mean, I, I feel the more the merrier, you know. I mean, uh, obviously, you think this is a legit option. Obviously, some people don't agree. Uh, so maybe we can uh, meet somewhere in the middle. And, and I must say, you know, discuss it. So uh, thank you guys for watching our group chat. I got to get out of here. Uh, make sure you check out our Facebook live shows every weekday morning with KUM for Mr. Shocker, Mr. St. Augustine, Guasi Chris, and Joss. Gracias. Gracias.